Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Lemkuler, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests who bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find the information useful. Welcome to this episode of Beef Bits Podcast. We're going to talk about acronyms for feeder calf value this week. I'm joined today by my colleague, Kevin Laurent, from the uh, Princeton Research Station. Kevin, how are you this morning? Uh, doing fine, Jeff. Good to hear. The uh, weather seems to be pretty favorable for us. We got a little bit of rain finally and um, might actually make some of these uh, double crop beans do something. They, The research farm, I was out there last week and um, our double crop beans were just starting to come over the double of the week. So we're suffering from that dry period that we had. Yeah, I, I tell you, y'all are y'all are more hit and miss on that moisture deal than we are over here. We've just been really I guess blessed beyond, uh, in some cases, too blessed on, uh, if you talk to some of the guys around Owensboro, they got flooded out, you know, what, about a month, six weeks ago, but uh, able to, uh, most of that was able to still get planted into beans to get some late season beans in on, the, on that ground that flooded out. But I mean, by and large, moisture has been good. We got a heck of a corn crop out there and yeah, our double crop beans here look great. I mean, it's, uh, it's we've been blessed, I can tell you. Well, that's great. Um, speaking of that, uh, looking at, it seems like every every day now we see an update coming from the uh, terrible storm that came through the Midwest and the Corn Belt. And I think uh, originally they were estimating, what, 10 million acres. And now I've seen the estimates up to uh, 14 million acres uh, being damaged. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, and we can talk about, you know, obviously weather affects us here you know, cause it's where we're living and where we're trying to raise crops and cattle and whatnot. But, uh, as far as what moves markets, when something happens in a place like Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, that area, Minnesota, South Dakota, I think it was just a whole swath right through there. I mean, that's the heart of grain production right there. So that could really, that could move a market if it's, you know, detrimental enough. That's right. So speaking of markets, um, looking at the, uh, Futures market for corn, uh, it uh, looks like it has maybe responded a bit to the uh, uh, events that happened during that week. There was a bit of a lag, but it seems like the corn markets are are trending up. Looks like they went up a little bit, but they're maybe self-correcting and coming down a tad here now. Yeah, I, I was a little behind looking at the corn deal. Uh, we were talking about that before we got on here. And uh, yeah, it's definitely made a reaction. I think, what'd you say, about 20 to 30 cents it's moved on the on the nearby contract, I think. so. Right, it looks like on the nearby it was up about 20, and now it maybe is starting to correct and come back down a tad bit. It's still too low for our grain, guys. I mean, it's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough price. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of markets, so has this uh, event and the corn markets played into um, – affecting our cattle prices yet? What do our markets look like for our feeder cattle? Well, you know, I don't know, and I'm not a market expert by no means, but just I just watched the market report on the cattle side, you know, on a mainly a daily basis usually. But I know we, the board kind of peaked 
for the, as far as nearby terms, you know, in the last two, three months, four months, uh, the feeder calf board looked like it, it peaked a little bit last week. I say it peaked. I'm not saying we won't regain, but, uh, some of those losses, but we, we got up to, I know the November deal, the one I kind of look at for folks that are going to be preconditioned and selling calves this, you know, springborn calves this fall, that November contract had, had touched around 149 last week. And what was, we were looking at it this morning, it's down to what, around 145, 146. So is that a reaction to this little bit of move in corn? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm looking at the Kentucky report and I don't know what the nationwide report is, but I know our receipts for last week in Kentucky uh, were around 19,000 head and the week prior was 15,000. So, you know, people started moving some cattle. A, a lot of heavy cattle are coming to town now. If you look on the market report, that that second sheet or third sheet, I should say, on the market report that KDA sends out is, is so valuable, I think. It's just a great piece of information to look at that gives you lots of 20 head or more by stockyard. And that sheet is full, you know, uh, this uh, from last week. So a lot of cattle have moved and responded when <clears throat> when um, these heavy feeders, which they typically do this time of the year, when that price started going up, people started moving some cattle off of grass. And most of that, a lot of that is grass calves in central Kentucky that you're seeing there. So, uh, so that that's good to see. I mean, you you've got eight weights, you know, a couple of couple select load one owner load lots hitting that 140 on the eight weights, you know, from from a high standpoint. A lot of your seven weights hitting the 140. So that's that's pretty good money compared to what they started at back in say April or May or whatever. I can't help but think maybe um, us working through some of the the fat cattle in the yards isn't helping drive a little of that on the replacement side too. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, you know, if they, I think they're getting current on that slaughter deal there, that backlog that happened when all the plants shut down. So if they're getting current and and that's what typically happens this time of the year, they're they're getting past a lot of those uh, springborn calves from a year ago uh, are, are coming to market. That's generally why fat cattle trend down in the summer. So then the, the feedlots start emptying and we haven't had the fall runs yet. And most of those fall runs are calves anyway, so those calves aren't going to immediately necessarily go into those yards. Uh, I mean, some grow yards and stuff. But so you've got that void there, and that's where that that's where that fall born yearling kind of hits that perfect spot right there. It's a sweet spot usually in that July through September, and sometimes it even lasts into October for that big yearling coming off grass to fill those empty pens in the feedlot. And that's and a lot of times they can, you know, those guys can. Uh, they can buy that calf. They can lock in some corn price because generally corn trends down going into harvest season. So then they can maybe lock their feed and, uh, or at least it's favorable. And then they can buy that calf, lock their feed in. And then maybe even, you know, that fat cattle contract December through April seasonally tends to be the highest that period during the year. So they may can lock everything in or at least have a chance to, or, and, uh, feed into a favorable environment. So that's, you know, that's generally why that kind of at seasonality happens. You know, what is it? Over 70% of our calves are born in the first half of the year. So most people spring calves. So, yeah, we, we kind of forget about that, don't we? Even though we push fall calving here, or there's a lot of folks that uh, have found value in fall calving. But when you look on a nationwide standpoint, it's still dominant uh, spring calving. 
It is. It really is. So, uh, and I mean, if, you know, I'm not necessarily saying everybody should switch to fall calving. Of course, if, if, you know, if half the, half the producers did that, then that we take that seasonality, a lot of it out of there, you know, but, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's something to consider, especially at this, in this climate zone. I think it's something that's our forage base, our cool season forage growth curve. And, and, and at this latitude, so to speak, our climate zone, I think it's something to, to definitely worth looking at. Well, we forget about regionalization a lot in the industry and, you know, spring cabin to us is, is different than say spring cabin to the Southern states, Florida, Louisiana, you all are probably thinking of January through March of spring cabin in that part of the world. Absolutely. And I, I tell you, uh, you know, we, we didn't have a whole lot, just my, me personally growing up, I didn't, we didn't have personally have a lot of cattle. We were more hog oriented, but we had pasture ground and we rented to a, to a, a gentleman that ran cattle in our place. And we'd run our, our, our lease agreement getting off on a little story here, but our lease agreement was, we were, we could run five pairs. It was like 85 acres of pasture. So we'd run five pairs and that's, that's how he paid for his use of our ground. Cause we had about a 40 cell hog operation there. So, so we had to maintain five cows. He would, he fed them, you know, he took care of all the cost of them. And then at the end of the year, you know, we would sell the five calves off of our pairs. Right. So that was kind of our deal. And, and there's a lot of cattle around us and, and I, the typical, deal down there was try to get these cows to start calving in january have them done by march and try to sell six weights calves off the cow in september before the fall runs really hit you know that was sort of the the model good bad or otherwise that's what a lot of folks tried to do and and those 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 big brahmin cross type cows could do that they could get that done if you could you know with the right genetics and the right kind of bull um putting a English bull, a lot of times, an Angus or Hereford bull on those Brayford and Brangus cows, that's kind of what, that was kind of the deal, you know, selling that quarter blood calf in September at 600 pounds off the cow, and, and a lot of times you could get that done, so. Well, particularly if you had an advantage maybe of using some of the, uh, you know, the annual kind of cool season annual grasses like some ryegrass. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it, you planted right. That was the only good grass. I mean, we had Bahia grass. Bahia grass just kept the world together and kept our cows alive. And, and it's a good, it, in a way, it's sort of like fescue, but I think fescue's a whole lot better. But, uh, you know, we couldn't get along in our sandy ground without Bahia grass, you know. But uh, but now it didn't, it didn't put, you couldn't run stalker calves on Bahia grass. You'd go broke. But uh, I tell you, keep the cows alive and then we, You'd oversee that with ryegrass in the in the fall, and that was your grass that you got the you got the boost from, and got your cows rebred on, and that kind of thing. That that ryegrass really, we really depended on that. So, speaking of, uh, you you just uh, went back home, um, took a trip back down to Louisiana. Sounds like you had a good trip back down that way. Yeah, I got a chance to see my mom. She she's was she's back in the assisted living. She's ninety four years old, and uh, she she had one of her sitters test positive for COVID, and so she had to have a test. And uh, so since she had to have a test, she actually tested positive, and so she had to leave the assisted living. So we we haven't been able to visit her, obviously, because you know not allowing visitors since when you know since what beginning of March. So she got to come to my sister's house for a couple of weeks until all that cleared up and she never really got sick. So that part was good. And we, uh, 
we had a chance to run down and see her. So uh, my sister from Houston and and I both were able to get there. So all the kids got to see her and uh, before she had to go back to the the assisted living there. So uh, and everybody tested negative. So that's the good part, you know. So no no worries. I didn't bring anything back. So we're we're good to go. Well, that's that's bad news and good news. Bad that uh, she had the test positive, but good news that she didn't have any. Uh, major complications from it. So speaking of, uh, I know you mentioned this before, but, uh, uh, you know, you start thinking about where you're from and some of those famous people in that. So uh, one of your famous uh, folks is uh, Roy Landry. And so I was trying to remember uh, what was the show that he was on. Oh, Swamp People. There you go. Uh, the, The alligator hunting. Right, right. That's my that's that's my wife's hometown. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Troy Landry was uh, her dad. My my wife, my father-in-law, Ray Crochet. He he was a principal in the little town of Pierre Park, where my wife is from. And uh, anyway, he taught Troy Landry in school. In fact, Troy, I think, was a year ahead of my brother-in-law, uh, Colette's oldest brother. So, oh yeah, they they. They all they all know Troy. So uh, anyway, kind of a kind of a neat deal. I tell you, that man is that's a sharp businessman. That Troy Landry. He was uh, before this all came along. He was one of the big crawfish brokers in the area that uh, you know sold and distributed crawfish in that area. So uh, I think the gator hunting. I'm not. I'm, I'm sure the gator hunting brings in some income, but I don't think he necessarily needs the gator hunting to to make it. You know, to pay the bills. But he. He's a he's a good story as far as someone who started fishing and you know he's just a really good success story for that area. So yeah, it is uh, one of those when you have folks that you know like I uh, the the area I grew up in we're we're about thirty minutes from where uh, Larry Bird was born and raised and oh okay French Lick right yeah French Lick that's right. And uh, I remember, you know, as a school trip, we used to go up to French Lick and they had an old uh, train and that was one of the field days you would take and it would take you past his uh, childhood home. And that was a big deal back then. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, you know, no Troy now, he's what you see on that TV. I mean, that's he's as down to earth, you know, I mean, it, none of this went through his head. I can tell you that. So anyway. Yeah, that's good. So, um uh, thinking about as we move forward in the fall, we're here in August and uh, it won't be long and, you know, folks will start thinking about uh, weaning calves here and starting to hit the market. You know, the, the natural trend is for, it seems like the market to begin to uh, trend down a little bit in that uh, late September as the fall runs start hitting the markets, but there's opportunities for folks to try and add some value back with some of these programs with the, uh, all the acronyms that are floating out there these days, you know, CPH and PVAP and uh, Bullock's BVAP and you, you name it. I think we're the the, the acronyms of the uh, beef industry here. But um, if we're looking at adding some value potentially to some feeder calves, what are what are some of the programs that folks might consider participating in? Well, the, of course, our, our old standard, the CPH 45 program, I call it the standard because it's something – and 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 uh, just to, to credit Roy Burris, Dr. Burris, you know, uh, he brought that program program to bear there in the early '80s, 
uh, back when preconditioning was not was not the cool thing to do before Texas A&M had the back 45 in the 90s and and made it a cool you know uh, practice the industry adopted but I tell you what it was more of a western Kentucky phenomenon you know Dr. Burris was stationed here at Princeton got that thing going at that time I think Iowa State and maybe Virginia were about the only universities really kind of pushing preconditioning back in the late 70s early 80s you know it was just more of a just a concept and uh, what what Dr. Burris did, he married it to a, a marketing program. So, you know, the where light cares handled the same way could be pulled together and marketed for our small producers. And um, but like I said, it it didn't really it, it it flourished here in Western Kentucky. It really didn't catch on statewide until till the mid to late nineties and uh and then spread towards central Kentucky. So yeah, I mean that's to me, that's the standard program. Uh, you know, a long time ago, we used to wean them 30 days. Now we wean them 45 days. Uh, you know, I, I take care of the sale at Guthrie on a very hands-on basis. Uh, and I work with the sale in Owensboro. And then, of course, we provide support statewide to any of the CPH sales in Central Kentucky. But I can tell you just by handling the, the most of the, of, the, uh, of the people are weaning these cast 60-plus days. You know, I think our average weaning uh, time is around 70, 70 days, really. So, and, and the reason I bring that up is, you know, that calf's weaned a little longer. We've got a little better uh, chance of that calf doing better as it moves on. And, but by, from the same token on that, on that producer, you, you know, these calves gain efficiently if you feed them right in that period. So feeding them 45 days versus feeding them, say, 75 days, you should should put more money in your pocket. And about every year, if you run cost scenarios on on the, the cost of gain and, and what the feed and the market situation, you know, the longer wing calves bring more money. Uh, net net added value is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, there's an opportunity there. And uh, you know, Kenny Burdine does some has maintained some trend lines markets from December to February. <clears throat> and following that calf, say marketing either in October off the cow or December as a six weight, or say February as a seven weight, and uh, and it and it really points to holding that calf really to February in most cases, most years. That's that's the smart thing to do. So uh, um, so yeah, there's there's some opportunity there to add some value to these calves. And you know, one thing, Jeff, a lot of these our producers have really upgraded their genetics. You're talking about there and the BVAP is it B, B, VAP, B, whatever his bull program is. Um, but, you know, our ag development dollars have really helped on the genetic side. Folks are, are using better bulls. And if we've got better bulls, why not, why not feed that calf a little longer and grab a little bit of those growth genetics that we have, you know. And, uh... That's that's a good point. You know, I, I remember Dr. Burris always saying uh, one of the key things is, one, you've got to exactly. uh, put some weight on those calves. You know, you, you just can't take that calf and try and limp it along at a half a pound a day. You, you got you to gotta put some weight on that calf to recoup some of that investment. But another thing that he was he stressed all the time was you, you got to plug into a market that's going to reward those calves. and, and critical numbers is really important on that. So you start looking at numbers, um, you know, I think at one time, um, 
when I got here, the marketing were close to about 30,000 head through the CPH program. Uh, where are we at more currently on some of those market numbers? Three around 11,000. So it has trended down. It, I tell you, it took a big hit there. And I think there's two factors. It took a big hit when in 2014 when cattle prices got so high. So that couple years there that we had such extremely high prices, you know, it was tough to convince somebody to take a risk on a calf that was worth, what, $1,100 off the cow, um, you know, a balling calf then. I mean, and I couldn't really argue with people then. Honestly, though, you look at our returns and we had some really good returns there because we were selling, what, $1,300, $1,400 yearlings too coming out of that deal. But still, uh, again, that's a lot of money to 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 – to, to, to risk, if you will. So I think that that was a hit. The other thing I, I, I believe is we've got some folks who are doing this stuff kind of on their own and either plugging into some competing programs or similar programs. I, I shouldn't say competing programs, but, um, you know, Ledbetter Stockyard here in Western Kentucky and close to Paducah has a red tag sale. And to my knowledge, they were the first stockyard run uh, program that was similar to CPH that's that that lasted that was consistently that consistently lasted and it's not exactly like CPH but it's very very similar and that thing's been very successful you know and um, so and I know we've got the farmer elite sale that started a few years ago at, at Glasgow um, the yellow tag sale I think they call it up at Irvington um, and then I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Bluegrass Stockyards is, is rolling out a new program too, that with some different levels. So, you know, the stockyards are getting behind this. It, you know, you don't just have to do CPH to have a place to market a, a lean preconditioned calf. And, you know, that's good news. I mean, we like to have big numbers and show lots of, lots of head and lots of return and whatnot from a UK standpoint, you know, we have to always justify things like that, but you know, at the end of the day, you know how we need to be judged i think from an educational institution if we can if we can make change if we can promote or um, do things that 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 can that can instill some change in the industry for the better and make more money for folks we don't have to run the marketing program you know what i'm saying as far as uk that, that you know if if private industry wants to grab some of the things we find some of um, some of our educational programs and run with it to me that's the to me, that's the, at the end of the day, that's the best, that's probably the best validation we can have, you know. The numbers I think are still important, you know, being, being on the buyer's side, I used to um, get calves in for research studies and um, I, I brought in some CPH calves years ago and actually had a group uh, from Kentucky that came up through a research farm and got to see some of those calves on feed. But it's pretty important on the buyer's side. If, if I'm sitting in there looking for uh you know, six weight heifers and uh, there just aren't enough of them. And I've got to, I've got to buy every one that comes through and I don't have much choice that, that makes it a little bit harder for me to put my loads together. Uh, if I don't have the critical numbers to pick through and match up what I need, you know, if I'm looking for blacks and I got to, I got to buy some uh, smokes or some pink noses to go on and make that load that makes it a little harder. So that's the other thing is it, it, even even if these other programs get rolling, I think that's a plus. We just got to make sure that everybody's aware of that to plug into those markets to make those markets capture as much premium as possible. And I'm not 
mixing loads. If the calves had been preconditioned 60 days and, and putting 20 head on that load that just came straight off that cow. All right. And and that's a good point. And some, where some of these things, I talked about red tag and uh, sticking around. We had several attempts by yards over the years. I mean, I've been here and I've been, uh, worked for Dr. Burr since 92, you know, and we saw some of these efforts try, you know, yards try to try to do some of these kind of programs. And a lot of times they failed because of what you just said. I mean, they tried to run preconditioned calves the same day as as their regular sale or things like that. And that was one thing I think Red Tag did right. They moved it to a different day of the week and it's offered once a month and only Red Tag cattle come that day. And and I think that's what some of the some of the yards are looking at doing. And I think when you do that, you can you don't get into that situation where you're having to mix uh, unweaned calves or calves of unknown history, health history with with good preconditioned calves. So, I mean, that, that's a really good point. I think those a lot of those calves in the past used to go up into the, the Corn Belt region to the farmer feeders. And, you know, they were looking for preconditioned calves that time of the year so that they could continue doing the crop and field work they needed to wrap up. And we're looking for calves that would come in and stay healthy and they didn't have to, you know, spend a lot of time doctoring calves. So that seems to have continued to um, uh, expand and, and grow a little bit. You look at the number of calves fed in Iowa now compared to, say, 20 years ago, and that number is quite a bit higher than it used to be. Right, right. Yeah, and, I, and I, a lot of our calves still, that that CPH calf generally does go north as opposed to west. So uh, that, that, that's another good point. So, so thinking about the program requirements for CTH. Actually, maybe we ought to define this uh, acronym before we go farther. So what is CPH 45? It's a certified precondition for health 45 days. So uh, we've got a statewide um, program, I mean, a statewide uh, requirements, if you will. And you can go to cph45.com. Uh, KCA maintains that website or that link on their web page for uh, cph45.com and you'll have the, the sales listed. Some of the sales have different requirements, uh, but mainly it's due to just branding going with a different, well, one particular drug brand, you know, company. Uh, for instance, uh, Guthrie uses Zoetis. The uh, Owensboro sale is, I think it's primarily a Zoetis sale now. Uh, it used to be a, um, the old, Sure Health sale, Muriel, I think it was that had it at one time. But uh, so anyway, uh, if whatever area you're in, talk to your county agent. Get on cph45.com. Make sure you're or talk to your yard. You know the stockyard there. Make sure if if they've got a CPH sale that you're using the right the right uh, drug and protocol. Now, the statewide minimums is basically two rounds of virals of your four way virals. Uh, I guess five way now, if you count both strains of BVD. And then you got your uh, Pastorella type shot, whether it's Manheimia, Pastorella uh, shot, and then of course uh, your black leg, and then deworm within 60 days of the sale. That's the basic program, okay? Guaranteed open heifers, guaranteed steers, you know, no stags, no retained testicles, that kind of thing. So, um, that's the basics. And then, like I said, if you want to get specific, I would, you know, say if you're in the Richmond area, I would talk to Brandon Sears or talk to Jim Dawes at the stockyard or whatever, see what the latest, you know, 
wrinkle is that maybe they're doing for their sale uh, and so on. So just to double check, but that's the basic program. Um, so um, it might be a good time to talk about PVAP. Yeah. So PVAP now is a, another new program that rolled out. What does that stand for? Well, PVAP, I'll, I'll give Darren Bullock credit for this. We don't give him credit for a whole lot, do we? No, but, not at all. <laughs> Post-weaning value-added program is what, what Dare helped me come up with, and we call it PVAP. And from a precondition, we got two versions, a preconditioned version and a feedlot version. I'll talk about preconditioned since that's what we're talking about here. But PVAP is something that the Ag Development Board we is providing some monetary support to. And what we're trying to do is find folks who have not done this, uh, who have never weaned and preconditioned calves or who have tried it and had a wreck years ago or something. And we're wanting to, and what we're trying to do is work with county agents and try to maybe give them a little guidance, uh, the producer some guidance and, and document what we're doing. So we get a weight at weaning. Uh, we get them on a feeding program that, that they can agree to, uh, to make sure these calves are going to grow. And then, uh, the requirement is they have to keep track of records, you know, the cost of feed and whatnot. We put a value at weaning and we compare it to that sale value of that calf. And, um, the one main requirement is they have to sell that calf in a preconditioned sale. So it kind of goes back to what point you were making earlier that, you know, you can do all this, but if you're the only eight head at, at the yard that day, it's preconditioned, you have no marketing leverage. So, we require folks to tap into whether it be, you know, Glasgow sale, Irvington sale, a CPH sale, you know, at any of the four or five locations, we have those red tag sale, any of those. Um, and then we, we do a closeout. I do a little closeout deal for them to show, okay, how much you spent, what was the value of that calf at weaning versus the value of that calf at, uh, at sale time minus the expenses, you know, what did you make? You know, did you add any net value? to the bottom line. We did 10 of those. This was the first year we've done it. it was this past year and we did 10 closeouts on precondition and they averaged $88.50 per head return, net added return. And these are real expenses. The only thing we're if you want to if you will, the only thing we're somewhat estimating is that value that calf at weaning, but we're getting real weights at weaning and then we're using a market report on what that calf would have sold for that week that it was weaned. So, I mean, it's, it's as many real numbers as we, as I know to put to the thing. Well, and I, I bet you might even be a little bit over, um, putting a bit higher value on that calf, uh, at weaning if you're not taking in some strength consideration. Yeah. And we, I try to normalize shrink. I try to figure out what's the shrink, you know, are we weighing on the farm a full calf or is he having to load those calves up and bring them to some truck scales down the road? You know, I try to figure out what's the way up on the front end and the way up on the, of course, the way up on the, on the sale end, you know, uh, that's pretty cut and dry. We kind of have a good handle on how that happens. But, uh, but yeah, I do try to normalize shrink as best I can. So I, I guess that might be one other little estimate that it's not hard and fast, I think, but we're still dealing with as many real numbers as possible. But you know, the other thing I always try to tell people, somebody with $88 doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, but. If you think about the return on the investment, I mean, you're not talking about a lot of cash layout to feed these calves. No, and I'm I'm looking at my summary right here. And so we range from $56 in one group 
all the way to $142 in another group. And, and there's a range there. And I could go in and, and tell you where this group kind of messed up or that group, you know, what was the feed. Not everybody listened exactly to our feeding program. And I'm not saying we have all the answers because market conditions can trump every bit of this. I'm not, so please don't, I'm not trying to get arrogant here. But the one who made $56 did not listen to us on the feeding program. So, uh, and that therefore that those calves only gained 1.6 pounds a day for 47 days. Now, you're talking about Dr. Burr saying you got to get gain on them. So those calves only gained 75 pounds. Now, compare that to a person who did a wean, a very odd situation, weaned these calves in midsummer, actually had some fall, late fall calves in this group. So it was pretty unconventional. It's somebody that's working toward putting up, getting their calving season together. But they ran cattle on, on basically on fall pasture for 138 days with a little bit of supplement. And those calves gained 1.7. So same as what the other producer I just talked about, but they gained 237 pounds. So the pounds they gained per head, that now that individual netted $88 or $89. Now, could we have bumped, shortened their precondition period, bumped their feeding program up a little bit, made a little more money like some of these that made the 140? Yeah, probably so. But you can't really argue with what they did either. So how you put gain on these calves is 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 another question. The the bottom line is you got to get gain on them though. You got to get a hundred pounds or more on them. Now how you put it on, how you choose to do that, you know that's you know we can debate that or or there's many different ways to skin the cat. You know if they like they say so. Well, I think that's a really good point though too because. The other reason to think about this gain and think about this market is I think these calves tend to come in a little fleshier than what we would traditionally see a calf coming in. And you got to be able to plug those calves in a market where that's more acceptable. But you also have to walk that fine line, don't you, not getting them too fleshy. That's right. That's right. And 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 I've got, you know, I'm showing you that. And then these these calves and then the ones that made the hundred and forty dollars a head. Those were cattle running on a self-feeder that held their calves into February, so uh, past the first year. Now, they got a market bump, okay, to cover that extra feed these calves ate. So it, it's not it's not a, a, a real simple uh, – you can't just make an exact simple equation. This is how you're going to succeed. But I tell you, there's some general guidelines. You need to probably feed them 60 – I mean, in general, you probably ought to feed 60 days. You probably need to feed these calves to gain two and a half pounds or better a day. If you're going to do something radical, if you want to call it that, or different, like the the person I talked about that did it on grass, you better have a lot of time to grow those cattle slow. Uh, generally, preconditioned 60 day grow period, 70 day grow period, we need to feed them, and that that is where most people mess up. They just don't want to feed that 12, 13 pounds of concentrate feed they put too much credit on their hay or their pasture and they just do not get the gain in that short a period of time so uh yeah it's as simple as that and these these light calves are efficient and they can gain you know and we need to take advantage of that well and i always try to tell folks too you you have to know your cattle and sometimes we think our cattle are the best in the world but um you know you can you can take a large frame calf and, and put 
two seven two eight on that calf a day in that period of time it'd be okay but you got a small frame short coupled calf you probably got to dial that back a bit you do and that's the ones who use the self feeder had the right kind of cattle so you can take a self feeder and ruin a set of cattle you just described yeah you're exactly right so so but that's the kind of thing i think we can do um between myself and the county agent going out folks who have not weaned and fed calves like this and, and, and that's not a critical remark toward those people. I mean, if you know, it's like anything, if you haven't done it, you haven't done it. So if we can just kind of, you know, help folks avoid some of those pitfalls that, you know, that's uh, I think that's where we that's our role. You know, now I didn't even add the, the ending of this. So if you do all this and turn this in and complete the program, you get a thirty dollar incentive payment per calf. Uh, this is what the Ag Development Board is is supporting. Um up to a thousand dollar maximum, so you can do roughly 33, 34 calves in this deal to max out at a thousand dollar payment. So, you know that's that's not a bad, that's not and all these numbers, this eighty eight dollars, that's not counting the thirty dollars. So we can add thirty dollars on top of that. Uh, I'm not counting the incentive payment in their in their returns, right? So because that's not going to be there every year. And I mean. You know, the whole goal on this ride is to get folks to, to apply the management, to add some management to get these calves from a health status standpoint where we can reduce the use of antibiotics because the calves got stressed and sick, because they've uh, been off of the, the cow. They know how to eat feed out of a bunk, how to drink out of water. It, it's really just applying management to prepare these calves for that next phase. Yeah. And, you know, Jeff, I'm glad you brought that up because this is where I, I mess up on a regular basis whenever I talk about CPH and preconditioning calves. And and it's it's funny and I hate to give somebody like Brandon Oliver credit because, you know, Brandon. But Brandon was in one of our breakout groups the other night at the at our beef uh, conference that we had. And he made the he made the comment. He says, you know, I know you work hard trying to get all these numbers and show us you know, what CPH can do for us premium wise and whatnot. He says, I wonder if we would all be better off just, just saying, you know what, you ought to do CPH because it's the right thing to do. We ought to just take pride in our cattle and that we want our cattle from Kentucky to do, to, to, to be good and, and, and be successful for the next person that owns them. And I know that's something Dr. Burris used to talk about, you know, how bad the reputation for Kentucky cattle were and, um, and, and how that's improved. And, you know, we probably don't beat that drum enough. I mean, I take that as very good constructive criticism from Brandon of all people. And, uh, and I hope he hears it. <laughs> he's, a mate, we're a good friend of mine, oh, he's a good guy, but he's right. I mean, he's exactly right. We probably don't, we, you know, you can, you talking about $90. If a guy's got 30 calves, you know, 80, $90, you know, that's $2,700. Hey, we're putting kids through college. That's a, but you know, that's, we like, we don't want to, you know, turn down that kind of added return, but for everybody, is it, you know what I'm saying? That may not be the motivating factor. It might just be doing the thing, doing things right. You know, that's right. Doing it right and having pride in what we're selling, you know? And uh, so if somebody wanted to participate in PVAP, how would they go about getting the calves enrolled and some of that? Yeah, we've got money for probably about 20. We did, we I've got two more that I haven't closed out yet that we just got sold, but yeah, I've got probably got money to do about 20, this 20 groups. So, uh, we really need to hit it hard this fall. Call your County agent. 
Okay. You can, you can call and contact me directly. Uh, but I'd rather you call your County agent if you don't mind. And then we'll, uh, cause the County agent's going to be an integral part of this and, uh, we'll, we'll get the ball rolling right away. And this is the time to do it. I mean, if, you know, I want to throw out there a lot of these folks who've never done this before are still selling intact male calves. You know, we getting a cool snap this week. If you hadn't cleaned up and got these calves castrated, this is a good time to get these darn bull calves castrated. Uh, you can cut a calf in the summer, believe it or not. Get these calves cut. Uh, talk to your county agent. We can help you, help you, you know, facilitate that. I'm not going to come castrate all your calves, but we can give you some tips on what to do. Maybe get, get a vet out or something or haul them to a vet. But get these calves cleaned up now before weaning and then at weaning they're going to grow a lot better for you and and, and then you're not going to have that that discount uh, you know and obviously you got to have them castrated to plug into any of these preconditioned programs anyway so that's a really good point so well kevin are we going to play football we, the schedules came out right I don't know. My my middle daughter is a football nut. I mean, she is all about some SEC football. And she was texting me every time they would announce another game for LSU. You know, she was texting it to me. So uh, I, the one thing, what is it? Vandy's coming to Kentucky, I think, right, this year. I don't know what that date is. I need to check that date. Uh, I brought my oldest son, John Johns, gave us tickets to a Vandy uk game and we watched it in the sleet and ice storm and it was when it, who was the running back the guy that used to put all the punt returns abney Derek abney maybe we saw him run one back there and uh that made it all worth it so uh, i'm not just an lsu fan but I, I i can't talk football without at least admitting that that uh roy burris gave us tickets to another uk game and uh and it didn't go so well for the for the for the LSU title. <laughs> that was that. We were ranked number one. Now the end of the year went okay, but I brought the whole family to that one. So, and I know we're getting short on time here, Jeff. But I really want to tell you, I think I might be the only person who has been to. Let's see, I've been to three UK football games in Commonwealth Stadium or whatever we call it now, Kroger Field, whatever. UK has won every game that I've been to. Beat LSU, beat Eastern Kentucky, and beat Vandy, right? Those are the three games I've been to. And I've been to only one UK basketball game in Rupp Arena, and UK lost. They lost to Tennessee. Dr. Pescatori took me years ago. We went to a, to a, a UT and UK in Rupp Arena. So I don't know if I might be the only person on earth that can say something like that. I mean, what's the chances of that? I think that's, I mean, uh, hmm. You better get a hold of Coach, see if Coach won't give you some uh, tickets. I may need season tickets there, you know. Uh, you know Where we play Alabama this time, at Commonwealth or at Alabama? I didn't look, to be honest. I know we open up with Auburn, uh, so uh, Dare's going to be all over that one. Yeah, <laughs> I need yeah. to look and see. Um, I, that would be the acid test. If Alabama comes to Lexington, I, I need to be in the seat. Exactly. That would be all right, wouldn't it? Uh, but you know, we we need to get that out because you just may get tickets for that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so. uh, well, Kevin, I want to thank you for joining us today. I think this is a a really good um, uh, time to be thinking about these calves. We're we're still, like you said, we're in August. We got enough time to make some plans to do some management to uh, 
these calves think about the marketing programs. And I, I think that's one of the things that we forget about, right, is developing a marketing strategy for our calves. And and that's right. That's something we need to take a little more time and doing. Yep. Yep. I agree. So, uh, I agree. Kevin, I hope everything goes well for you the rest of the week. And uh, thanks again for joining us. All right. No problem. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Look out. It's time for us to go. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Beef Bits podcast with our guest, Mr. Kevin Laurent, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Please send us any suggestions on topics or feedback on the program. We'd be happy to hear from you. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe or follow us and you'll get the new episodes as they come out every two weeks. Thank you for listening to the Beef Bits podcast.